Welcome to Grow It Minnesota, the podcast about growing fruit, vegetables, flowers, and anything else in a cold, cold climate. I'm your host, Mary Shear, a home gardener and garden writer based in St. Paul, Minnesota. This is our second episode, and today's guest is Steve Poppy, director of the Horticulture Research and Outreach Center at the University of Minnesota campus in Morris. This is a place where they test all sorts of annuals and perennials, and they have a beautiful display garden, which is well worth a visit if you're ever out in the western part of Minnesota. I started the interview by asking Steve a little bit about what he and the Outreach Center did. I'm a horticulture scientist, so uh, what I do or a major portion or percentage of my job description is with horticulture research. And as you mentioned, the annual and perennial flowers, um, that is our major thrust. Uh, that's what we spend our most amount of time on. Um, we receive those annuals and perennials from major plant breeding companies throughout the world that want to trial their flowers with the University of Minnesota. Um, we also have one other location for the annual flower trial is at the Grand Rapids Experiment Station in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. But we have numerous research projects. Uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, 30 to 40 percent of them have been cut back this year because of the COVID-19 issues. So I had to cut back on number of employees or summer help. But uh, a lot of work with annuals and perennials. But several small fruit research projects, raspberries, strawberries, vegetables, and high tunnels, and uh, work a lot with other different methods to control weeds without using herbicides. So that's just kind of what we do, but we have about anywhere between 15 and 20 research projects on any given one year. Yeah, and you, we, let's talk a little bit about what a trial garden is, because I know plant companies do trial their plants and some of them they sent to garden writers like me and some of them they sent to people like you and what's what are they trying to find out especially sending it to places like grand rapids which is pretty far north and morris very windy <laughs> so what what are the, what are the goals of trial gardens well what they're trying to do mary is uh, you know with the annuals and perennials uh annuals i mean see how they they perform in West Central part of Minnesota in the upper Midwest. Um, and we're probably one, including Grand Rapids, one of the farthest Northern locations for a lot of these plant breeding companies to trial their different varieties of annual flowers. So what we do is we, we grow them. About 40% of what we trial are from, still started from seed. About 60% of them uh, we receive as vegetative cuttings. Vegetative cuttings are rooted cuttings that we'll receive that are ready to be potted up when we might receive them. Uh, we have our own greenhouse facilities. We grow them very busy from February until May in our greenhouse facilities, uh, growing those plants and ready to plant them out, which is normally late May. But uh, the plant companies are looking, uh, again, looking at flowering. Uh, they're looking at uh, diseases. Uh, they're looking at uh, how they might continue to flower, how late in the season they might flower. Um, a lot of different criteria and what we look at. And with, um, there's two different annual flower trials. And we can talk about that later. One is the All-American Selections mm -hmm. and one is our normal annual flower breeding trial, which again, about 15 to 20 different plant breeding companies throughout the world that send their plants to us. But uh, we take data anywhere between four and five times 
during the growing season, and we rate them simply from a one to five, just, you know, vigor and compactness and flowering ability and just uh, numerous things that we look at and record. And of course, when that report is done in early November, we make sure uh, that we send it to, you know, people such as yourself, master gardeners, bedding plant producers in the upper Midwest. And then again, that report is available on our website at the West Central Research and Outreach Center. And we send it to literally just thousands and thousands of people that receive that report each uh, late fall. How many annuals are you growing each year? We we normally uh, grow about, uh, we trial about 450, maybe 500 different uh, varieties each season. Um, and it's but of, a, but of our total uh, area that we grow annuals, probably it's about anywhere between 16 and 18,000 plants per year as part of uh, a trial and display garden. Wow, <laughs> that's a lot of plants. Yes, it and, is. And do you baby them? I mean, how do you take care of them? Well, um, they are, you know, when you grow that many different varieties, Mary, in a greenhouse setting, each one of them requires special care. I mean, it is, uh, you know, I'm not saying it's difficult, but it's it, sometimes they'll just throw a different curveball at you every other day because the vincas might need this, the petunias might need this or whatever else. So you really got to pay very close attention to growing those, all those different plants in a greenhouse setting. So probably we do baby them, uh, you know, with the media we grow them in, with the fertility requirements. And when they finally uh, go in the field out in our garden, they, again, uh, the use of, you know, irrigation and herbicides to control weeds. And of course, we still pull weeds. So it mm. takes a few, uh, many, many hands to uh, uh, keep our display garden looking nice. But yes, probably we do baby them. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do a little annuals kind of 101 for people here. So annuals versus perennials, what's the difference? Well, annuals, of course, are, you know, are neither either grown from seed or a vegetative cutting, uh, which you can, you look at and normally in a greenhouse, if it's in a, like a, a four pack or a six pack, that's probably been grown from seed. If it's sold as one individual container, it was produced from a vegetative cutting, which is probably a little bit more expensive. Um, annuals are just growing annually. I mean, when we get our first uh, hard freeze, um, most of those annuals are done, of course. They've frozen over. But perennials, with our perennial trial, we grow them for, th our normal trial is for three growing seasons. We like to overwinter them twice to see, hopefully, that they may be uh, hardy for us. And we grow it depends each year, anywhere from 100 to 200 different varieties of perennial flowers. And uh, most times, you know, these companies are pushing the limit on hardiness for these plants. <clears throat> and most years, we probably lose about 50% of those. They die. They can't survive our extreme cold, depending on snow cover and whatever else in uh, uh, the upper Midwest. But uh, um, yeah, perennials will hopefully live on and on. There are a few perennials that are just awesome. And they, uh, of course, those plant breeding companies can then market them that they grew in uh, hardiness zone four. Right, right. And is Grand Rapids in zone three? Yes, they are. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're quite, you know, they're the farthest north you can be and still be in Minnesota. 
That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So um, why would people want annuals in their garden, though? Because they die. You know, you have to buy them every year or start them from seed, and then they die. So what's what's the point in having them in your garden? Well, uh, there's a, a lot of great color from an annual. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of, you know, might we can get into this in a few minutes, or favorite annuals or whatever, but um, the plant breeding companies have really come up with some terrific annuals that have a real wow factor, you know, and and uh, some of these flowers that uh, don't have the diseases that they used to, you know, they're just uh, the breeding and the genetics and whatever behind some of these is just fantastic. So again, um, for truly a real wow factor in multitude of colors, I mean, everybody has annuals, you know, it seems like around their house, you know, they're popular because they add so much to your landscape and whatnot. But uh, it's uh, uh, truly a lot of people enjoy annuals because they're just beautiful color. Right. And because, and the perennials will come in and out of bloom. And yes. so, you know, a lot of people grow perennials for foliage and for sort of the backdrop. And then when they want that, as you say, the wow factor, you put in some brightly colored annuals. Right. Yeah. And so that's what we try and do, Mary, with our display garden, too, is the use of recommended suggested perennials mm-hmm. you know and uh, you know putting in some of the annuals in the foreground or whatnot to enhance those perennials yeah yeah and then um so let's talk about some of your favorite annuals either the ones that are old standbys or or newer ones that are on the market that you think are just terrific for a home gardener to use Right, right. Um, I could probably go on and on about favorite annuals, but I'm just going to, I'm going to point out some of the, the uh, uh, favorites that I have, you know, and some of the trends and colors and types of flowers. Um, you know, marigold and zinnias, just, they've been around forever and started from seed. But the real true uh, benefit of some of these new marigolds and zinnias, they just continue to flower for mm-hmm. so long. And they are now, a lot of them, powdery mildew resistance. I mean, mildew was always an issue with marigolds and zinnias and that we had to spray and whatnot. So they are truly come a long way with their uh, breeding. And uh, a lot of the new marigolds and zinnias, they have the flowers on top of the foliage. Years ago, uh, when we were trialing these or whatever, some of those flowers were hidden in the foliage, but now they truly are on top and, and, and very showy. Um, Begonias, uh, a lot of new begonias out there, both that tolerate, you know, sun and can grow in the shade. Mm-hmm. Uh, the old cocktail type uh, begonias, which truly are fantastic, especially if you're growing in masses. But there's a new, fairly new series of begonias called the Big Series, capital B, capital I, capital G. They're a little taller series, but wow, can they produce a lot of flowers and, and something that's a little taller in a Geraniums, uh, the Calliope series is just a, a, a interspecific type of geranium. It's crossed with a zonal and an ivy type. Uh, these are just worldwide. Uh, they are just fantastic in beds uh, and in c- containers and just truly put out a terrific uh, amount of color with geraniums. Of course, geraniums have always needed to be deadheaded. They have a little more maintenance with geraniums, but awesome, the, the, the Calliope series. Yeah, and to me, a geranium looks absolutely perfect in front of sort of a more formal home. You know, they just have that, I don't know, that that pizzazz. They look great. Oh, they do. 
Yeah, and if you keep them deadheaded and whatnot, they're always there, you know, and they, they don't require a lot of water. I mean, we try and grow our geraniums in a little drier site. They don't like it wet. So if, you know, just try and grow them in a drier location is always beneficial for geraniums. Hmm. Another favorite of mine, it's been a favorite for years, is Vinca. Uh, vinca is not always very common in the garden centers because it is a little bit more difficult to grow for the plant companies. But one series that was an All-American Selection winner, they have three of them now, the Mega Bloom series, just uh, blooms its head off. And uh, um, it, one thing we always look at with flowers when we're taking data is nice, clean, green foliage. And this mm -hmm. Vinca series, the Mega Bloom series, is truly um, a breakthrough in, in Vincas. And for, um, doesn't always flower real early, takes a little bit longer, um, doesn't like it real wet, it likes it warm, it likes it hot, but uh, um, fun to grow. Yeah, and that's a nice one for the front of the border because it's a little shorter, right? Right, yes, yeah. mm -hmm. correct. Okay, uh, you mentioned All America, so let's let's talk a little bit about what that is first. Sure, uh, AES is All American Selections. Uh, at our experiment station in Morris, we are, are an All American Selection display garden and an All American Selection trial grounds. Okay, talk a little bit about the trial grounds. What we're doing is um, uh, we receive, uh, these are from seed, um, entries that are don't have a name on them yet. The plant breeding companies are trying to go through all American selections to see if their entry, whatever it might be, marigold, petunia, many different types of flowers. And then what we do is we compare them to probably two or three other comparisons that are already out there in the trade and have their name. And so we, we grow them in rows. Uh, the rest of our display garden is in masses, mm -hmm. and uh, we look at those probably about every 10 days, and a lot of different criteria, again, to look at those to judge them. There's about 60-some of us judges within the North American continent that are looking at these annuals throughout uh, many different areas, and uh, oh. we send in our data by the end of the growing season, and if they make it, they have a certain rating uh, that is high enough from all of us, uh, then they get the AES stamp of approval and it is released. And so many plant breeding companies, if they have the AES stamp of approval on their flower, mm -hmm. it is considered a, a superior variety within the North American continent. Mm -hmm. And then the display garden is what we do is the display of the past five years of AES winners. The ones that have been our AES winners and many different, uh, we have probably about 28, 30 different varieties that we're growing as part of our display that are, most of them are outstanding in our West Central part of uh, Minnesota. But right. it's a nonprofit organization, existed since about the early 1930s. Uh, they do an outstanding job working with and marketing uh, those flowers to the general public. So if you see the AES, you know it's a superior variety. And that's something for beginning gardeners. If you're, you know, if you're just starting out and you really want some success, I, I agree with you. The AAS, if it has that, whether it's an annual or a vegetable, it's probably going to be reliable. You're, you're going to get what you want from that plant. Right. Yeah, that's a good point, Mary, the vegetables too. And we're also now in the last few years, we're trialing vegetative annual flowers too. And we're growing those in containers and we're trialing those. Also, AES is just recently, I think they're in about their third year of trialing perennials also. So they're expanding. Wow. 
That's great. Mm -hmm. And so um, annual care. So if somebody is at home taking care of annuals, I mean, they don't have a greenhouse like you do. What kinds of tips do you offer people for how often to water, how to fertilize, just sort of the basic care for annuals? Sure. Um, Just generally, I mean, uh, each particular annual, as I mentioned, like geraniums like a little drier. Vink is like a little drier, you know. Celosia like it a little drier. There's certain flowers that don't like it real wet. And so you need to do a little bit of homework. But generally, I mean, once you transplant them in the ground, um, you need to have adequate supply of moisture for all those small transplants. They're, they don't have much of, uh, uh, until they're rooted in and whatnot, uh, they need adequate supply of, uh, of water. And uh, we don't apply any, we're very fortunate in West Central Minnesota, we have very rich soils. We don't apply a whole lot of fertilizers initially. Um, we just make sure they're well watered. Uh, once we get later into the season when uh, things might be running out of gas and make need a little foliar fertilizer or whatever, we, we do feed them. But uh, initially, I think just stay away from any, any fertilizer at least until they get somewhat established and then you can start feeding them. Oh, great. But, uh, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for all, the, this, the, what I've always heard with annuals is to fertilize them weekly. That is once a week with a week, weekly, weekly, that is a yes. weak solution of fertilizer once a week. Yes. Right. Yeah. Is that, is that decent advice or what would you think? I, I think that's good advice. You know, um, I myself personally, you know, uh, try and, you know, anything that's in a container or whatever else is, is fertilizing them once a week with a, uh, a half a solution, you know, not, not a strong solution of fertilizer. So uh, especially with the uh, soilless medias that might be grown in containers too. So, yeah. but yeah, that's a good tip. Yeah. So explain what, what a soilless media is. What, what, what are you talking about there? Yeah. Soilless media, uh, you could have one whole program on this, of course, but I'll just touch briefly on a little bit uh, soilless media that you might purchase to grow your own plants in containers. You know, many times you'll you'll buy a hanging basket container and it's already done, but if you want to do it yourself, there's many different products out there and a wide uh, range of prices for these soilless medias that are in the bags. Um, but the proper media strongly affects the rate of root growth. That's important, you know, the, the roots and the growth there. Um, one good tip is to check the label on these bags to see, you know, the, check out the quality. And if it is a lower quality, there's going to be lots of fillers like sand, soil, manure, and compost. So that's probably, if you look at the label, that's a lower quality soilless media. Oh, really? So like, one, so if it says there's compost, that's a lower quality media? That is a lower quality, right. Mm-hmm. So yep. what are you looking for? What should be in there? Well, there are 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 um, uh, peat and core and uh, some of those, there's uh, uh, perlite, vermiculite, some of those things that there's a good help with a good exchange of oxygen throughout the plant. Um, and just to get into a one rule of thumb when you're purchasing your material, the heavier the material, when you pick it up, it has more of the filler, you know, soil, manure, compost are heavier. Uh, and if it has more of that filler, it is a lower quality. So 
the mix that you're looking at, and there are many of them out there. And again, this is a whole other section. Yeah. Uh, the mix should be light and fluffy. That would be helpful for growing your plants in a soilless media in a plastic or clay container. Right. And so the light and fluffy means that the roots are going to move around. There'll be enough air exchange to get the roots to grow. Thing. Yes, right. correct. Good point. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. I, that, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, what are some of the trends you're seeing in annuals? Lately, we've been seeing, uh, more, uh, sun tolerant type coleus. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of these new coleus that are out there can provide, can be grown both in the sun and, and the, and the shade, but, um, that is, uh, and they're coming up with some outstanding varieties that are sun tolerant in the coleus. Uh, one variety that is doing just, uh, just one uh, variety that's probably going to be within our our top twenty or so this year is called Wicked Witch. That's a uh, you won't forget that name. It's a great that's a real, name. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a catchy name, but it uh, has a deep burgundy to chocolate foliage uh, with a ruffled edge outline and chartreuse. Just outstanding right now. It's a, we've got some great pictures of it. Um, so sun tolerant coleus, they're out there. They're they're fairly new, but uh, they are very attractive. And the thing with some of those new varieties of coleus, uh, coleus normally you're just growing them for foliage and you don't want them to flower. But some of these new varieties, some of the plant breeders have now, they'll, they will flower, but they're flowering very late in the season. Oh. So they're not being distractful, you know, you're growing. Huh. Um, uh, impatience, uh, the, the downy mildew disease that has hit uh, the Impatience wallerina, the seeded type of impatience. Um, a company has come up with a variety that is tolerant of that disease called the Beacon series of impatience. Great breakthrough from these breeders. Uh, these uh, are old standby, you know, the great impatience, uh, not the new, new guineas have their place and whatnot, but uh, Beacon series of uh, impatience are, you know, we have not seen a problem with downy mildew, so I would recommend those to others that want to grow those old standard impatience from seed that do quite well and are disease tolerant. So Right. Um, and actually, I'm testing the beacons this year, and I grew them from seed. So if you are somebody who likes to grow your annuals from seed, you know, you don't want to buy them as plants, you can get the beacon seeds and start them indoors. Um, don't start them too early. That was a mistake I made. Okay, but they, okay. they look gorgeous. I mean, they're just perfect right now. I'm amazed. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And in a container, in, in the flower bed, yep. you know, and they like shade. They, they need shade, of course. They're not sun tolerant. They need to be shaded. So yeah. Yeah. Mine are in a very shady spot, like under a shrub, and they're sure. very happy there. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Another type of plant that is really... Uh, a trend or whatever is with the salvias. Okay. Oh, yeah. And uh, they are, we put in a demonstration garden, not part of a trial garden, where we had about 28, 30 different types of salvia that were part of a de demonstration. And with the the concern for pollinators and, uh, you know, growing plants that are, are, are truly attractive of some of our bees and our, our beneficial uh, pollinators and whatnot, they truly are a, a a magnet to some of those pollinators. So, and some of these uh, series of salvia are quite tall, growing 30, 40 inches tall, mm -hmm. blue flowers, you know, and uh, fuchsia flowers and, and white and, and purples and whatnot. So 
there's a magnitude of, of different types of thalvias. So, um, and uh, so they've been very popular and uh, they do quite well and uh, they'll add a, a whole new look to your, your garden. If you're, a lot of them are blue and, uh, and mm -hmm. then some of them are, you know, a nice uh, uh, white also it makes a nice contrast with those. So salvias are, are, are a big hit. Yeah, right. and they will attract. Uh, I've grown black and blue and a whole bunch of different salvias, the annual salvias here, and you'll get um, hummingbirds sometimes with those too. Oh, oh yes, I have. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, and there are salvias that are called the hummingbird series too. That, right. that you know the right flowers for humming to attract hummingbirds to their flowers. Mm -hmm. right. Right. Salvias are terrific. Yeah, because um, that I was going to ask you about pollinators. I mean, do annuals help pollinators? I mean, people talk about planting native plants for pollinators, but do annuals help mm. them as well? Well, they do, Mary, because I uh, um, had a study uh, a couple years ago where um, um, we put in uh, a number of, <coughs> of annuals, about 30, 35 different annuals that possibly were attracted to pollinators. And um, and then we looked at them, master gardeners sat out there and just to sat and looked at these flowers to see what they were attracted to. And um, there was about, uh, after those trialing that many for two years or whatever else, we came up with uh, um, um, about seven or eight uh, different uh, good varieties that seemed to be very attractive. And um, just mentioned, Two of my favorites that uh, you know were attracted to a number of, of pollinators, but good in the landscape too, is called Melampodium showstar. Oh, okay. It's a, started from one? seed, a very compact plant, numerous yellow flowers that does well in dry or poor soils, but it has all summer long flowers that pollinators love. Melampodium showstar. Melampodium. Yeah, podium. Oh. Podium, yeah. podium. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. I'll put a note yeah. in the show notes on what that is. But okay, right, great. Right. Yeah. And another one was a salvia that uh, we we've talked about salvia, but uh, really showcased in this uh, particular project uh, was salvia summer jewel pink, which is about eighteen inches tall, uh, prolific bloom throughout the growing season, and the bees just loved it. So, and those are two of my favorites that were pollinator friendly, and but yet looked great in the landscape too. Yeah, and many of the tall zinnias will also attract a lot of pollinators, I've found. Not so much yes, the short do. ones, but the tall ones do. The correct, you are right, you are correct there, the tall ones. Mm -hmm. Right, okay. And now if somebody wanted to overwinter annuals, are there any annuals you can overwinter? That is, take them into your house and keep them going for the next year. Well, I'm not the the person probably that should be asked on that, but the ones that I think of are, you know, uh, some of these begonias, mm -hmm. you know, uh, will overwinter in a house. And uh, some of the, now that they've brought back, you might, now that you're growing the beacon impatience, you might want to try those to bring oh. them in during the winter. I mean, I don't know, but uh, I know I've uh, friends and family or whatever else that used to bring in impatience indoors occasionally. And and there's many different types or methods to grow geraniums indoors too. So I'm not the expert on, on that, but those are three I can think of right now that might be possibly brought in indoors. Yeah. So if someone's a houseplant lover, they could uh, give that a shot and have it be yeah. a little experiment. Okay. Right. I just know the secret is I make sure they're clean 
they you know right. by drenching those or make sure you have you would apply an insect you know for whatever maybe there might be an insect or an aphid issue or whatever before you bring them inside right because so, i can tell you from personal experience you can get some bugs in your house if you're not oh, yeah. careful <laughs> so, yeah true i believe it yeah okay well this has been really helpful now tell folks if they wanted to go see the trial gardens, how long are they open for? And, you know, what, when's a good, can they just come and visit in Morris? Right. Well, just to Mary, the location, uh, West Central Research and Outreach Center, we're, lo- we're an experiment station. We have many other types of research. Uh, we are located east of the city of Morris, east of the University of Minnesota Morris campus. Look for the wind turbines. We do have renewable energy research, so look for the wind turbines uh, off uh, State Highway 59. Uh, and um, we are open from dawn to dusk. You know, we are now we were closed for a time period, but our display garden is open uh, to just kind of follow the rules on the signage and whatnot to be safe uh, with the other visitors or the or the workers that might be in in the garden. But uh, we're just located one mile east on Highway 329 in Morris, Minnesota, and look for the signs. And, uh, but uh, we're open, you know, throughout the entire growing season. Uh, the one we, major event we have is called Horticulture Night, which is always held on the last Thursday in July, which unfortunately we didn't have this year. We did a virtual Hort Night. Uh, we normally get uh, 1,500 to 2,000 people to that event on that, uh, but it's mark on your calendars. We will have it next year on July 29th, 2021, and we're very proud. It was supposed to be the 50th anniversary of Horticulture Night uh, this last Thursday, but since we delayed it, we're going to call it the 50th anniversary in 2021. So, um, yeah, well, that's great. And I mean, people really, if you are in that area or, you know, really love annuals and perennials, want to see a display garden to, it's a, it's a terrific place to visit. And um, I hope people come out next year or even this fall yet. So, yeah, yeah, we are, we, we have thousands of people that go through our garden and, uh, but we are still, I think at times a hidden treasure in West Central Minnesota. So, Thank you, Steve. I could not agree more that the Trial Garden and Research Center at the University of Minnesota Morris is a hidden treasure for gardeners in northern climates. If you get a chance, please visit. That's our show for today. You'll find links in the show notes to some of the plants and places we discussed. You can follow Grow It Minnesota on Instagram at growitmn. I'm also starting a Pinterest page full of ideas related to the show that you can check out. And then sign up for my every so often newsletter at my blog, mynortherngarden.com. If you really are a northern gardener, I also edit a magazine called Northern Gardener for the wonderful folks at the Minnesota State Horticulture Society. They have lots of links and information on their website, northerngardener.org. So check it out and subscribe, or better yet, join the Hort Society. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode of Grow It Minnesota.